Hi, and welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. My name is Cassandra Wilder, and I'm a naturopathic doctor and a women's cyclical health expert. This podcast is a space where we demystify all of the bad hormone advice we've been given and instead get back down to the foundations. Your dream of regular, pain-free periods, balanced hormones, and vibrant energy is within reach. Join me and other incredible experts here every single Monday for conversations that are sure to be life-changing. Let's get started. Hello, gorgeous friends. Welcome back to the Cyclical Podcast. Happy spring to all of my friends in the Northern Hemisphere. It is a cool, rainy day here, but it makes me so excited. I'm seeing all the little buds start to form on the trees and the little tulips are getting ready to sprout. And I've just been sitting here sipping my matcha, getting ready to record today's episode. I had a couple requests recently to talk about endometriosis and it is endometriosis awareness month right now. And honestly, I was shocked because I went through my whole podcast library and I was like, I've never done an episode on endo. Oh, okay. So today's the day (laughs) we finally get an episode here in the cyclical library. I love that this podcast has become a little go-to resource for so many of you and something you come back to and re-listen to as needed. And I, I'm just glad that finally Endo will get to have its own space here on the podcast. A big note I want to make before we go into today's episode, and that is that there is no shame in whatever approach a woman decides to take to manage or treat her endometriosis. The world of health can get really divided. So you've got people on the Western side saying you have to do surgery, you have to do birth control, you have to do pain meds. Then you've got people in the holistic space that are like, that's horrible, you need to manage this naturally. And all this does is confuse and overwhelm women that are actually living with this condition. Truly, with any medical condition, we should all respect and honor each individual person's choice and what they decide is right for them. But especially with endometriosis, where it is something that can really totally take away from quality of life and can be so full of pain and struggle, I really want to make it clear that whether you decide to take a holistic route to manage your symptoms or if you decide that doing something else like birth control or pain meds or a partial hysterectomy is the right choice for you, you're welcome here. There is never any judgment from me. And I want to make this clear because I I just see how it is online. It's so divided. Um, I know there's a lot of holistic practitioners that are extremely anti-birth control and very anti-anything Western. And while I get that to a point, it also, again, just leaves out women that may be dealing with something like endometriosis and don't have any other way to manage their symptoms. And then, of course, we see the other side. I've had clients come to me over the years who, say, had endometriosis and told their doctor they wanted to manage this naturally and they didn't want to do some of these procedures and they were essentially laughed out of the room and told like okay well when you're ready for your hysterectomy come back so i don't like this this intensity on either side and i know i'm a naturopath i know i'm more holistic um, but i want to just make sure everyone that listens to this episode feels welcome and knows that there are options and resources and this episode will go into all of those So thank you. I feel like a lot of my episodes get these little disclaimers, but I think they're so important and I hope that that felt very affirming to everyone listening. But let's start to talk about endometriosis, what it is, how common it is, what's the Western approach to it, what can we do holistically, what correlations do we see in studies, like let's go down the rabbit hole together. Let's start with just what endometriosis 
actually is. Endometriosis is simply when cells that are similar to that of your endometrial lining or your uterine lining migrate and implant outside of the uterus. So sometimes that's on the ovaries, it can be on other pelvic organs like the bladder, and usually this results in inflammation and often really severe pain. While we don't hear about endometriosis nearly enough, it is suspected to affect up to 1 in 10 women, which is a lot. It means 10% of the world may be dealing with this, and yet there is a lot of mystery around endometriosis. Not a lot of people talk about it, and I mean, truthfully, until I was in naturopathic school, I'd never really heard about it or thought about it. And that's unfortunate, unlike other imbalances, maybe like PCOS, where they get a lot of attention and a lot of people talk about them. Endometriosis seems to always be in the background, which doesn't help with the confusion over, do I really have it? And how do I get diagnosed? And how do I even bring this up to my doctor? Endometriosis is the most common cause of pelvic pain. And the big symptoms of endo include, of course, severe pelvic pain, severe period pain, pain with sex, inflammation, heavy periods, difficulty getting pregnant, and pain while urinating or having a bowel movement. Now, getting a diagnosis can be tricky. Like, just bear with me for a second. It's kind of wild. It takes, on average, 8 to 11 years for a woman to finally get the diagnosis of endometriosis. And it's like, what? Right? <laughs> How can that be? Well, there's kind of two things at play there. So first, there is gender bias that definitely still exists in medicine, and that gender bias is very much connected to the idea that periods are just meant to be painful, and whether you have endo or not, if you've brought up to your doctor that you have really severe menstrual pain, it's possible you were met with kind of like a, well, yeah, everybody does, or do you take Midol, or have you tried a Tylenol? And so unfortunately, there's this ingrained belief, even in medicine, that periods are just gonna be painful and you know, are you making a bigger deal about it than you should, which is not okay, but it exists. But secondly, there is quite a process to actually get diagnosed with endometriosis. And so to get an official diagnosis, it actually involves a major surgery. And so some physicians certainly aren't going to be like leaping up and down to just do this surgery when they're not 100% sure that you really have endometriosis. And so that can also be part of it, having to establish this relationship over years and really having that physician feel like, okay, I really think this could be it. And it's probably worthwhile for us to do this surgery. So that surgery I just talked about is called a laparoscopy. And in that surgery, they go in through the belly button with a little light and camera, and they can actually then look at your pelvic organs to see if this tissue is growing where it's not supposed to. Some people say this is a minor surgery since it just goes through the belly button. However, there are a lot of risks and potential complications. So I think more and more people are starting to recognize that it is a major surgery and that's why it's not usually the first thing offered when a patient goes in and says, I'm in so much pain, I'm in so much pain when I have sex, when I go to the bathroom, I'm in pain. It's gonna take, unfortunately, usually a little while before we get to the point of a laparoscopy. In the Western route, the most common uh, treatments offered for women with endometriosis include, of course, pain medications, birth control, um, especially if the woman is in more pain with her period, then birth control methods may be offered that just make it so you don't have a period. And I know there's 
a lot of big downsides to that. But like I said earlier, if you are in so much pain, you literally think you're dying. Sometimes that might be the only way to have a quality of life. Um, they may also do a laparotomy. This is a surgery where they would go in and actually remove this tissue that's growing where it shouldn't be. And then sometimes they'll offer a partial hysterectomy and with a partial hysterectomy, they would leave your ovaries, but take everything else. And sometimes that's effective for women, but keep in mind if this tissue is growing, say on the bladder or on the ovaries, then removing the uterus isn't gonna do a whole lot. So just something to keep in mind. And then sometimes they'll even do surgeries where they try to like sever nerves in the pelvis to try to manage the pain but of course, like I said, all these have their time and place as needed, but it is important again to remember that some of these work really well for some women and for other women, they get maybe temporary relief for a few months or a couple years and then the pain comes right back. And so there's no real like clear, this works for everybody kind of method with Western medicine for sure. And it's really just going to depend on the person and how informed, you know, you feel your doctor is keeping you. The big question, of course, I get as a naturopath is like, what else can I do, though? <laughs> and what else do we know about endometriosis? And how are there studies looking into some other correlations? And how can we take a more root cause approach? Now, I've had a couple of clients over the years who had endometriosis and we did do really big things together in that we went from 10 out of 10 pain or even 11 out of 10 pain, like severe debilitating, down to a three or four out of 10. So we really did a lot, especially in the realm of pain management and helping them just have more of a quality of life and not be so burdened with pain. But it's again, one of those decisions for everybody to make. So here's some of the correlations that I see and that are you know, coming out in certain studies. There's definitely a correlation between excess estrogen and endometriosis. It is said that endometriosis is actually really dependent on estrogen. And so when I've had clients with endometriosis, and when we do, say, a Dutch test or a hormone test together, it's really common to see their estrogen is very, very, very high, and they have next to zero progesterone. And this is common because if we're not ovulating and we're not making progesterone, estrogen just keeps going up. Progesterone's supposed to keep its friend estrogen in check, but if there's no progesterone, then estrogen's just kind of unrivaled and she does whatever she wants and she likes to go up. So just by doing a hormone test, we can get a really good peek into what's going on and then certainly start to ask those deeper questions, which is why is estrogen high then or why aren't we ovulating? And I'll touch on those in a minute. Uh, there's another piece to this though too, and that is the gut. So there's a couple emerging studies that have showed a relationship between gut health and endometriosis. And to me, this makes a lot of sense because estrogen levels and gut health are very connected. You know, you have to have a healthy gut to even be able to get rid of estrogen efficiently. So if your gut and your liver are bogged down and not working well, you're just going to be marinating in your estrogen. So that's very much connected to that last point. And then there's the big piece of environmental toxicity. So certain chemicals can increase estrogen levels and overall toxicity, and they can be difficult for the liver and the gut. So again, we're seeing how this all connects. It's estrogen, the gut, the liver, and just how overwhelmed and burdened the body is. I did an amazing episode with Dr. Yvonne Burkhart, who is a PhD of toxicology, 
a couple months ago. Highly recommend listening to that episode because this is what we talk about, these weird ingredients in lotion and makeup and soap and just stuff none of us think about that have huge implications on our health. And if that sounds overwhelming, like, oh, great, now I got to throw out all my stuff. (laughs) Not necessarily, but it's important for you to know the ingredients especially to be looking out for because if you have estrogen dominance or you have endometriosis or even PCOS, you have to look at the environmental toxicity piece. There's just, if you want to address it on a root cause method, there's just no way around that. It's imperative. So when I'm working with someone that has endometriosis, I have two big goals. First is to understand why it's happening and address it at the root, but also to help them manage their pain. There's two huge things you have to look at with endo. Why is it happening? And then how can we improve your quality of life and not have you be in pain quite as often? So usually with endometriosis, I start with hormone testing, like you already heard me say. I want to know what's going on with estrogen and progesterone, but it's also interesting to look at cortisol. It's interesting to look at the stress hormones and then hear about their stress in their lifestyle. Then it's really interesting to look at their toxicity exposure. We can then look at the gut. Um, In my intakes, we always do really (laughs) in-depth conversation together to really look at how their gut and liver performs and are they bloated? Do they get gas? How often do they have a bowel movement? What is their bowel movement like? Is it satisfying? Is it incomplete? Is it loose? Is it hard? (laughs) All the things. We go into all the layers. And this helps me start to piece together what is really going on behind the scenes. There is an option for students in Period Reboot to do a Dutch test at a discount, and then there's options to work one-on-one with me. So I'll put that in the show notes if you're like, please ask me these questions. I want to tell you about my gut health, Cassandra. Let's do it. I want to hear all about it. Um, But that's all linked below. And the next piece is going deeper through all this. So I just gave you kind of the overview. Now let's go into the details. So let's talk about estrogen because... We've already touched on it, but what is the deeper piece to that? Like I said, estrogen will go high if progesterone's not there to keep it in check. So the first thing that I want to know, the first question I have is, are you ovulating? Because if you're not ovulating, then you're not making progesterone. And if you're not ovulating, why not? What's going on with the body to think that it doesn't have the energy or the resources to be able to ovulate? I like to look at also what's coming into the system that could be increasing estrogen. So again, what beauty products are you using and what are you using in the kitchen? So it's the bathroom and the kitchen where these xenoestrogens or these false estrogens can really be common. So we see the phthalates and the parabens and the fragrance in a lot of our beauty care products. And then in the kitchen, we see a lot of the plastics and the BPAs. So, you know, maybe someone likes to use straws and eats out all the time and they're using the plastic forks or, oh no, I hope nobody does this. They microwave their stuff in freaking plastic. Stop it. (laughs) Pet peeve. These little things may seem like, oh, whatever, inconsequential, no big deal. They do add up over time. So, you know, if you want to think I'm crazy, it's okay. But let me just tell you, these things do add up. Then I also want to understand their channels of elimination. So the liver and the gut metabolize and get rid of estrogen in your body. So if your poor little liver and gut haven't been loved on lately, maybe are a little sluggish, then we're not going to be able to get rid of estrogen. 
So this is the like perfect storm. Lots of estrogen coming into the system from beauty care products, kitchen products, plus maybe we're not ovulating. And then our poor body is having a hard time getting rid of estrogen. So we can see how people often talk about it like a bathtub. The water is flowing in, lots coming in, and the drain is plugged. So now the bath's just increasing, 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 increasing. And in one way, we're like, well, then slow the water. We want less estrogen to come in. But in another way, we're like, just unplug the dang thing. <laughs> just yank the gross hair or whatever's in that drain and get it out of there so that it can get out. I mean, ideally, we're doing both. But that drain piece is really big. You can take all those fancy supplements that Dr. Google told you to take. But if your drain is plugged up, you're going to have a really hard time getting rid of estrogen and therefore a hard time getting ahead of your symptoms. And the sad truth is most people have some gut and liver things going on. I can't tell you how often I meet lovely human beings who tell me they poop once or twice a week. That's not okay. <laughs> or they maybe have been on antibiotics frequently, so their gut health is just simply going to probably not be quite as strong. Or they drink a lot, or they've used a lot of prescription meds in the past and their liver is going to be bogged down, or maybe they're hardcore intermittent fasting girls, don't get me started, um, or they're fasting, or they are skipping meals, or they're living on 1100 calories a day, these are also going to stress the system. So the moral of the story today is just be nice to your liver and gut, because without their help, you will not be able to efficiently get rid of estrogen, and that's just going to drive those endometriosis symptoms. We got a little off topic there for a second, but I think it was all very pertinent. So <laughs> anyway, the next thing with the liver and the gut is I know a lot of people, like I said, go to Dr. Google and they put in how to lower estrogen. And usually the first supplement that comes up is DIM. And DIM is said to help bind to estrogen and remove it from the system. And DIM itself is a good supplement. I use it sometimes, every once in a blue moon with someone but it is only good if you really need it. So when someone does a Dutch test with me and I can see all of their different routes of elimination and I can see where their estrogen is really going and I can get this full picture, then I can know if they really need it and if it's actually gonna help them or if it's gonna cause a lot more problems. Some people take DIM and they make everything worse. So I know a lot of blogs make DIM out to be this miracle thing and it's going to fix everything, but please, of any supplement in the world, don't just randomly buy that and stop t and start taking it because unless you need it, you're probably making everything worse. When we start to look at the gut, I already talked about a little bit of this, but we have to take that layered approach. So I need to know, have you been on antibiotics and how often were you on antibiotics? Then we get a comprehensive understanding of your symptoms. We could even do a stool test to see what kind of pathogens or things could be going on in the gut. But the simple truth is just most people need a lot of rebuilding in their gut after years of antibiotics or oral contraceptives, or maybe they were a C-section baby, so they didn't get that first little, you know, building block for their gut flora. So some of my favorite options to look at are things like L-glutamine and gelatin and bone broth and quality animal fats. These are going to be the most nourishing things to support the gut lining and strengthen the gut, which in turn is going to support 
how you get rid of estrogen and your immune system and your brain health and your neurotransmitters and everything. So it's a win-win. One quick note about the gut, and that is some practitioners believe there's a link between endometriosis and parasites. So that could be something to explore with your functional practitioner. I'm not really going to go into that here, but I do have an episode from, geez, like 18 months ago about parasites. So you could go listen to that if you're interested. The last piece is I like to look at inflammation and what could be driving more of it because inflammation can increase the amount of pain. So when I look at their diet, that can be really interesting. Are we living on processed foods that are full of canola oil and soybean oil and vegetable oil, things that are inflammatory for the body? Or are we using quality fats like butter, coconut oil, or tallow, things that are going to be lower in inflammation? We then can also look at nourishment as a whole, because like I said, fasting and low calorie diets and skipping meals or living on coffee, all of this can also stress the system. And then certainly just overall stress as a whole needs to be looked at as well. I think you're all seeing why as a naturopath or a, you know, an integrative doctor, why we take 60 to 90 minutes with every client because there's just no way you can really know someone's life and their health history and what they've experienced unless you have time. So I don't know how some practitioners, you know, do this in five or seven minutes and just get this little piece of the story. It sounds awful and I, it's not the doctor's fault, it's the system, but I'm just really grateful that I get to have so much time with each person because these little layers matter and they definitely matter if we're trying to take a root cause approach to endometriosis. So those are those big pieces I start with with a client. I look at their gut, I look at their estrogen levels, I look at their hormone levels, I look at pain management techniques next. And so I'm going to go through a couple of recommendations that can be helpful. They are life-changing for some people and they are not very effective for others. So it's again one of those things where it depends on the person. But the first recommendation that is helpful for some women is magnesium. Usually the dose of 500 to 600 milligrams per day can be lovely. Usually that's something I recommend right before bed because magnesium is relaxing and a sedative. So that could be a great thing to try for a month or so. Turmeric is a really nice anti-inflammatory and it's usually recommended around 500 milligrams a day. So that's something you could take any time of day. You could cook with it. And if you're purchasing turmeric, you want to make sure it has black pepper included as that activates it. Some studies have found a correlation between melatonin and decreased pain. And they suggest, you know, if you supplement with melatonin, it could reduce pain by about 30%. I'm really not a big proponent of supplementing with melatonin. So I can't speak to this too much, but that could be something to look into. And then lastly, the supplement pycnogenol is something that I have used before with clients in the past and was pretty effective. And this is a bark, um, essentially, that can be helpful for pain and endometriosis like symptoms. The last big piece that I think is not talked about nearly enough with endometriosis is the emotional layer. When you've lived with pain for years and years and years, your mental health is certainly going to suffer. And so finding an endo support group is incredible. And I love seeing more and more of those pop up could be hugely affirming and life-changing just to know that you're not alone and you're not broken and to just have 
the support of women who really get it can be life-changing. And then working with a therapist who could allow you to process and express your experience is so important. It's not a burden you have to carry by yourself. And like I said, you are not broken and your body's really not trying to betray you. Um, instead, though, it is a huge call for you to get support and to know that you have a community and a support system that love you and are here for you and, again, are not here to judge you for how you choose to approach endometriosis, but instead are here to be your greatest friends and support no matter what you decide to do. I so hope that this approach that I shared today has been really affirming and refreshing to know that it doesn't have to be one way or the other. It doesn't have to be just birth control and surgery, and it doesn't just have to be taking random supplements like DIM. There is a happy medium where we can honor our experience, we can do what's right for us, and get some of that data like our gut and hormone labs to know how we can further support our bodies and customize our entire approach. So if today's episode was a breath of fresh air and you're like, thank you, <laughs> please let me know by sharing this and tagging me on Instagram at menstruation queen. You all make my day when you do that. So thank you in advance. And for everyone asking, the doors to period reboots will open soon. This is for you if you are ready to take a root cause method to support your hormones, your metabolism, and your menstrual cycle. I'll put the link below in the show notes, or you can just go to CassandraWilder.com to get your name on the list. This last round was extraordinary. We had some huge breakthroughs and wins of going from not ovulating to ovulating and going months without a period to finally bleeding again and clearing acne and getting more energy and just feeling more connected to their bodies as a whole. So if you are meant to be part of this next round. Again, make sure you're on the waiting list. That way you will get an email as soon as the doors are open for enrollment. Thank you again, everyone, for being here and happy spring. I will see you here next week. Thank you so much for tuning into the Cyclical Podcast today. The best way you can support the show is by rating and reviewing the Cyclical Podcast on iTunes. It also means so much when you share this on Instagram and tag me. It helps me see what episodes really, really resonated and just keep the goodness coming. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you here next week.